ask you to get, take your Bibles. We're looking in Acts together, chapter 13. We're going to pick up verse 1 together, Acts 13, verse 1. It says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manahim, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away, and we're going to have prayer there together, okay? Lord, will you bless us as we study? We pray that you would just minister, allow your will to be accomplished today, and Lord, may each of us be challenged, Lord, that we each have things we can do to make a difference in your kingdom, and may you help us to be willing to participate and take part. And I pray that you would just, your Holy Spirit would just speak to our hearts, draw us close to you. We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, June, a lot of times you have weddings that take place in June. And so there's a wedding take place, and bride, she kind of had a regret that she had, they had invited so many people. And so she was telling her father, for the wedding, she said, I'm just so nervous. She said, I can't think straight. She said, I just don't know where I'm going, what I'm doing. I just don't know what's happening. I'm just so nervous. He said, it's okay. All you got to remember, there's the aisle. You walk down the aisle. You're going to the altar, and there you're going to meet him. That's it. Just remember that, and you'll be fine. She said, I just can't think straight. He said, I'll alter him. Just keep repeating that. So she just kept repeating that in her head. <laughs> well, the bad thing is, she began to think that was her purpose. <laughs> I'll alter him. <laughs> change. <laughs> well, if you really want change to really take place, it has to be the Lord that does the changing. But some people wonder, at church, why does there have to be change? They even wondered that back in the New Testament, the church of Antioch. Boy, talk about a church. It had become the church in the world. There was so much going on at Antioch. People were still coming to know Christ. People were growing in their faith. And it was just an exciting place to be, and people were coming from everywhere. When we start here in chapter 13, he mentions five great teachers that they had there at Antioch. And he mentions them, there, there was Barnabas. And you know Barnabas was a, we looked at him last week, a person of encouragement. They just loved Barnabas because anytime you was around Barnabas, you just came away feeling just good, feeling like you was of value and you could really do something to help to serve God. He was just a super person of encouragement, especially one-on-one -on -one or small groups. Barnabas was great. They were Simeon. It was called Niger, meaning he was a black man. And some people think this is Simon uh, of Serene, the very person that carried the cross of Jesus. Well, wouldn't that have been something? The guy that was Jesus was headed to Calvary, and he dropped down, couldn't look, could no longer go, and the soldier said, hey, you, carry his cross. Some people believe that's who it was. And they believe that Paul 
mentions, uh, and Mark mentions, by the way, in the Gospel of Mark, Simon and then also his son Rufus. Well, actually in chapter 12, Barnabas and Paul had went back to Jerusalem. They returned to Antioch. They brought Mark, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark with them. So wouldn't it be something, the reason that Mark mentions him specifically by name and then his two boys by name, maybe because he knew them and met them there at Antioch. And so you have Simon there, and Paul mentions his son Rufus in the book of Romans. Then you have Lucius of Cyrene. Now, many people believe that Lucius was from the same place as Simon, and he had helped to lead him to Christ. You know, when you become a Christian, don't you, you want to help your friends, those that live around you, to know Christ? And maybe that's what took place here. Then there was Menahem. Menahem, he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And let me tell you something. What a difference a relationship with Christ makes. Here's two people that grew up with the best of everything, but boy, were they ever different. What a vicious, wicked man Herod was, the Tetrarch. Ended up marrying a, a lady that was somebody else's wife. Had people put to death that didn't agree with him. And then there's Menahem who found Christ and was just the opposite. Just the opposite. Now a teacher at this great church, helping people to grow in the relationship with Christ and making a difference. And then, of course, Saul. And so this church was just going as about as great as you can. People were coming in. People were so excited about being in church, about hearing God's Word, about learning and growing together. And then all of a sudden... The Lord says, uh, we're going to take two and we're going to ask them to move and to become missionaries. And I'm sure that there was probably some people like, why? Why would you do that? Why would you have change take place? That's a good question. You know, as we think about that question, why do we want change to take place? Maybe one of the lessons or one of the sermons, maybe even Simon, who carried that cross, he may have said, you know, after I carried that cross, it changed my life. Seeing Jesus crucified, I began to understand who He was. And then I was there. I just became a follower. And when He rose again, I was there and I heard Him on the mountain tell people to go. And so they were talking about the need to take the gospel to all the world. And by the way, in all four gospels, after the resurrection, Jesus gives a commission. Listen to this. Here's Mark 16, 15. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Here's the great commissions, what we call it in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make. And by the way, that is the main ideal, to make. Make disciples. But how are you going to do it? You've got to go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Look at, in Luke's gospel, in ch chapter 24, verse 47, Jesus said this, and that repentance and remissions of sin should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. In John's gospel, here's what Jesus said in chapter 20, verse 21. 
peace to you. And as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then even in the book of Acts, Luke writes this, he reminds us, in Acts 1.8, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you get it? The Lord is wanting the church to be able to be a witness to all the earth. And so guess what? It wasn't just in one city there at Antioch. It wasn't just for one group of people. It was the message of the gospel was for the whole world. And it needed to go out to every single person. And so, because it's not just for that one church, God said there's got to be some change. So we're going to take two people. And he calls out Saul or Paul and Barnabas. Now some people might say, wait a minute, you took the two best. Some people think, oh, the church is going to be harmed. When the church is going and sending people to the mission field, God is going to continue to bless and help it to continue with His purpose. So God calls them out. Why? To fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Henry Martin said this. He said, the Spirit of Christ is a spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to Him the more intensely missionary we must become. In other words, the closer you get to God, and when you're walking in His will, you can't help it but to want to be able to share the message of the gospel and see people come to have a saving relationship or saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so it was to fulfill the Great Commission. Also, when we're reading here in in chapter 13, We saw that they fasted and they were praying, and then it was the Holy Spirit. This was Spirit-led. This wasn't something they just made up. They didn't just say, we need to go somewhere. The Holy Spirit was at work in their life. And when the Holy Spirit is working, it's not wrong. It's the will of God. And you may sense the Spirit of God leading in your life, putting people on your heart, asking you to be able to step up to take on a project or to take on a ministry, to be able to do something for the Lord. He may be burdening you with some people that you work with, go to school with, that it's in your neighborhood. And God is just placing that on your heart, beginning to lead and to stir up within you. I need to be able to take advantage of some opportunities. It's the Spirit of God that's leading and helping for change to take place. And you know what? Sometimes even within church, you see change take place. Sometimes in our teachers and just different things in different areas. And you can't be discouraged because I'm telling you, God is at work. And if somebody's moving from one area to a different area, then that means that area is open and he's going to lead somebody else to feel that. And he may be stirring in your heart, leading you to do that. And listen, here's the big thing. There was an eternal need. Here's what Paul said in the book of Romans. He said, I have an obligation. I'm obligated. I realize that people need to hear the gospel. And I feel obligated. If you had a cure for cancer, would you feel obligated to share that cure? Yes. If somebody's house is on fire and they don't notice it yet and they're in a house, but you notice it, Wouldn't you feel obligated to tell them? Sure. And the Apostle Paul knew that Jesus Christ was the only way 
that a person could be forgiven and be able to make it into heaven. And he knew he had an obligation. He, knew, he said, I'm not just obligated. He said, I'm eager. Romans chapter 1, he said, I'm eager. I'm so excited because I know that having a personal relationship with the Lord, it'll provide a peace that you can't get from anyone else. It'll transform you. God begins to work and to change the things that's ailing you, the sin that just hinders and weighs you down. He's the only one that can provide real freedom. And so Paul was eager to be able to share. He realized there was an eternal need. There's somebody that said, you know what? People that have never heard the gospel, you don't have to worry about them because God won't judge them. Really? Is that what the Bible says? Jesus said this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now notice he didn't say, with the exception of those that are in countries that have never heard. Listen, if the truth was, if they had never heard and they would get to go to heaven, then you know what that means? We should not tell them. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us we need to go tell them. And you know why? One of our former um, presidents of the International Mission Board said this. He said, you know why we need to tell them? Because there's enough information that we have that we're all accountable and responsible. You see, the book of Romans tells us there's, by nature, we know that God exists. So nobody was without excuse. Everybody knows you can tell by creation itself. God exists. How in the world do you get a world like we do just out of nothing? No, nature proclaims the handiwork of God and God exists. And so everybody's without excuse. Then Paul tells us in Romans 2, your conscience lets you know that you're a sinner. Your conscience lets you know when you do something wrong. And so I don't care who you are. You realize, oh, I'm not quite right. This is wrong. Your conscience lets you know. You know what? That is enough to condemn you. You're familiar with John 3.16. Everybody seems like knows John 3.16. But do you know a couple of verses that's after John 3.16? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. Jesus come, not to condemn, but to save. Then verse 18 says, He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. See, the reason that it's important that we tell people is because they're already condemned. They're condemned because of their sin, nature. Jesus Christ is the hope of this world. That's where salvation is found. And that's why this message needs to go out. It was an eternal need. And so Paul and Barnabas are answering the call to be able to share this great message. Now, here comes the question then. We know that Paul and Barnabas had to go out. But what about everybody that was left? Did that mean that they didn't do anything? No, they're at the church of Antioch. Those individuals that left continue to serve the Lord. They continue to be able to share this, this good news, to live their lives for the Lord. And they were witnesses, and they witnessed. 
in four ways here. And so let me just remind you of four ways in which we can witness. One, a silent witness. And maybe I shouldn't put silent, but here, here's the ideal. Uh, it was their lifestyle. Now, listen to me. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying you pick out one of these ways to witness, and that's where you're at. No. Listen. All of us in these ways should participate in each of them. Okay? So a silent witness is witnessing with your lifestyle. It is living in a way that's pleasing to God where people can see that there's something different about you. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15. He said, uh, always be ready to give a defense. Always to be ready to share with the reason. He goes on, he says, to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope when God gives you the opportunity. And so people want to know, why are you so happy? Why do you have a peace? Why are you so different? And he said, when you get that opportunity, be ready to share and to speak. Let me tell you something. God provides opportunities. And we just need to be really willing to step into those opportunities to be able to share with people. And so they may be an opportunity to talk about nature and how God created things. They may be an opportunity to be able to talk about church or to talk about your personal relationship with Christ or some aspect of the Bible. But we need to be able to step forward. So a silent witness leads to those opportunities. An invitational witness. One person told me one time, they said, Brother Jim, I'd invite more people to church if you gave me a reason. What? <laughs> but here's what he said. Can we have some more activities or some special things, and I'll invite them. So, you know, whenever we do a cookout, why not just bring somebody with you? Maybe they'll come to that where they wouldn't come to a service. Or maybe when we have vacation Bible school, or we have a special singing, or there's just something special that catches their eye, why not invite somebody? By the way, Sunday school is not a bad thing, and church itself is not a bad thing. But yeah, these special events should be opportunities where we take advantage and say, you know what, they're not just for us. We're going to invite other people to come and participate and take part. An invitation, and you know what we need to do? We need to make sure that we help to share the gospel at these events. And if we don't, you need to be able to say, Brother Jim, we've got to be better at sharing the gospel. But you need to introduce that person to somebody that will. Say, hey, I want you to meet so-and-so because I know they're going to tell you about their relationship with Christ. An invitational witness. Hey, you know what? Then a personal witness. The Apostle Paul was so good at telling people about what Christ had done for him. And that's what we need. We need sometimes the Lord to give you an opportunity just to be able to share about how you got saved, about what God is doing in your life right now, a personal witness, and then a gospel witness where you actually get a chance to share the gospel and ask somebody if they'd like to respond, if they would like to pray and ask Christ to be able to be their Lord and Savior, also a gospel witness. I was talking to my friend Don Witt. He's an evangelist out of Memphis, Tennessee. So he was telling me he'd been to Africa, to Ethiopia. 100,000 people gave their life to Christ while he was there. I was like, my goodness. He said, it's just remarkable what God is doing. 100,000. 
Then he said, he's been back now two weeks. So he said, so I was preaching revival last week. And he said, the first Sunday I was back, I was gave an invitation. He said, there was a young man named Christian that responded. And he said, that morning, Christian actually became a Christian. His name matched. He said, well, Tuesday. He said, I, Tuesday night I was preaching. He said, there was a couple of girls during the invitation that just walked out. He said, then, after the service over, they come back in. He said, so I happened to see them, and I said, girls, I'm sorry you all walked out. What was going on? And then he, he got in the conversation, and he said, and so he asked them their name, and he said, one girl said her name was Heaven. He said, so he asked her, he said, well, if you was to die, do you know that you would go to heaven? She said, no. And he said, so I began to share with her, and that night he said, I led heaven to Christ, and now she's ready for heaven. He said, now you won't believe this, but the next week I was at a restaurant in Knoxville, Tennessee, and he said, my waitress name was Grace. And he said, so I just asked her, I said, Grace, do you know about the grace that's in the Bible? And she said, no. He said, so I began to tell her about the grace of God. And he said, then I asked her if she'd like to be able, after we went through the gospel, I said, you'd like to be able to pray and receive God's grace? And she said, I would. And he said, I led her to Christ in that restaurant. He said, so how about that? He said, in a week's time, I had a fellow named Christian that became a Christian. A lady named, a young lady named Heaven that's now ready for heaven and a lady named Grace that met God's grace. That, my friend, is a gospel witness, and anybody could be able to do that. And sometimes the Lord gives us that opportunity. And ain't that great? Now, here comes the challenge. It's the challenge that you'll see as you read through the book of Acts, that whenever you dedicate yourself to living and sharing Jesus Christ, Satan's not going to be happy. And there's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some opposition. Now, when you read through Acts 13, just for example, Paul and Barnabas, they head off to Cyprus. And by the way, they go to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas is from. We should be concerned about the people that we grew up with in our home area. They go there to share the gospel, and it turns out there is the, the head. Verse 7 tells us the proconsul of that area. Sergius Paulus was his name, an intelligent man. He wanted to hear about this gospel. He wanted to hear a message from Paul and Barnabas. So they meet with him. Unfortunately, there is a fella whose name is Bar-Jesus. He's a Jew, and he actually he's called Elumus, the sorcerer. Well, Elumus is the right-hand man of the proconsul, and he doesn't want him to hear the gospel. He's thinking to himself, he hears the gospel, he's not listening to me anymore. I may be out of a job. And so he does his best to disrupt the message so it can't be presented plainly and simply. And so he's constantly interrupting. I don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't is not specific on what he does. He's just there as aggravation. Now, let me, let me give you a, a warning. You're walking on thin ice when you are disrupting the gospel being presented. You're being used as an instrument of Satan himself, and it's very dangerous, very dangerous. And so here, Paul becomes a little agitated because he knows this is our chance 
to lead this man to Christ. We may not have this chance again. This could make an impact on this whole area. And so Paul looks at this sorcerer. And now the whole key to this is that the Bible tells us that he was filled. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is working and led him to say this. And he looks in verse 10. This is what Paul said. Oh, you that's full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. Now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And just like that, this guy can't see. Somebody's got to help him. The proconsul says, you know what, fellas? Let me hear what you have to say again. That, that, uh, you've got my attention now. And they lead that proconsul to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Here's what I'm telling you. Paul faced opposition. And he would face it throughout the book of Acts. But let me tell you something about the opposition. He would not let the opposition ever stop him from sharing. You're going to face opposition. Anybody that's going to intent on sharing Christ, you will face some opposition. But we have to be like Paul and be committed to sharing this truth, knowing what, what the message we have is eternal. The message that we have makes that kind of a difference. We've got to be content on sharing it. There may be some physical opposition some, or some physical challenge that take place. L let me, let me uh, point out to you, let's see, verse 14. Verse 14 here in, in Acts 13. So if you're in Acts 13 still, verse 14, it says this, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch Poseidon. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but let me tell you where Antioch Poseidon is in the region of Galatia. Well, in the book of Galatians, in chapter 4, and you may want to write this verse down by that, chapter 4, Verse 13, here's what Paul says. He said, You know that because of a physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. So the reason that Paul ended up going in the area of Galatian, there was something physically that had taken place in his life. Many people believe he may have gotten malaria. Some people, they think it was something else. And it's something similar maybe to his thorn in the flesh that had taken place, whatever that is. But there was something that was ailing Paul. And so they had to head up toward the mountains in that area of Galatia. But guess what? That did not stop them from sharing the gospel. His health didn't stop him. Can your health change your direction? Oh, yes. But your health changing should not keep you from sharing. And Paul continued to be faithful to share. Then there was friendly opposition. Here in Acts 13, in verse 13, we find out that uh, John Mark left them. Here they're on their missionary journey, and John Mark decides he's going home. Well, you know, when you're, when you're doing something, you need everybody, all hands on deck. It left them short. I've seen it happen. You start a program at church, and it goes, everybody's excited about it, and then all of a sudden, people start dropping off. What are you going to do? Well, you've committed to doing it. You have to finish it. The apostle Paul had committed to taking the gospel, to being a missionary, to sharing with people, and they weren't going to cut short their trip. It was going to be more difficult. 
They were going to be shorthanded. But nevertheless, they finished the trip. It is important that we remain faithful. Let me tell you something. The gospel is for every single person. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what country you come from or what class you're in. The gospel is for everybody. You know what? The very first church that I pastored, it's time for vacation Bible school. We didn't have enough people. So you know what we did? We didn't cancel vacation Bible school. We did two weeks. We just worked people twice as hard. Margaret and I. We did one for the children, one for the youth. We just we didn't stop. We didn't say, hey, we're not going to do it. We just adjusted. And that's what you do. You don't stop. You keep on with the challenge. The Apostle Paul, you get to the end of chapter 14. You know what happens? Paul, that first missionary's journey is over. They come back to Antioch, and they're going to report what has taken place. So you get to the end of uh, chapter 14. You get to verse 27. Here's what it says. Now when they had gathered with the church together, they reported all that God had done for them and how that he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So what did Paul report? Did he say, you know what? This was not a very good trip. I got sick. John Mark abandoned us. We had opposition. And listen, they had opposition where Paul at one time was even left for dead. But he didn't say any of that. You know what he said? He said, what a trip. You wouldn't believe the miracles that take, the changes that was taking place in people's lives. People were coming to know Christ. The Holy Spirit was just at work. It was just wonderful. Can I tell you something? When you see that friend of yours give their life to Christ, it's wonderful. When you have that family member all of a sudden and they surrender to Christ, you're like, oh, it was worth it. I put myself out there, and now this little child has been saved. You know what? We did vacation Bible school, and now I know that there's a child that's going to be in heaven. Or there was a family that's now coming to church. You know what? It was worth it. I sacrificed. I was upset for a little bit. It was, it was, there were was some problems, and different, but it's worth it. And you just rejoice at the results, and that's what Paul did. God is at work in our lives. He's at work this morning. There may be somebody here, you just want to recommit. Say, Lord, I don't know what I'm complaining about. You've saved me, and I want to serve you. There may be somebody, you're concerned about somebody in your family. They're saying it's not going right, and you just want to come pray. Or maybe you realize you don't have a relationship with Christ. And the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, convicting you and saying, you know what, you're... You're in trouble. If you die, you're in trouble. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for each one that's here. Bless this moment. Bless this time. And Lord, I pray that now your will could be done. And Lord, help each of us to be honest. Give us the courage to be able to act. And we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name.